today. Welcome. We are joined by not only just Chandler and Lauren, but we are welcoming back our royal historian, Andrew Hansen. Hi, guys. Our royal correspondent. Ugh. You guys, it's so good to be back. But look, one thing is you've added this video element, which I think is fierce because the two of you are beautiful. But I was telling Lauren and Chandler before we started recording this, I don't do dealings before double digit hours. <laughs> So I'm like glasses. I'm like, can I stay back here? I'm, I'm like, I feel a little puff, um, a little puff. I think that is rich coming from someone who has the glassiest skin, glassier than mine, glassier <laughs> than Lauren's, glassier than anyone I frankly know, glassier than Gibson's. Sorry, Gib. So Andrew, I don't feel bad for you. Okay. It's it's shiny, but it's puffy. That's the problem. Chandler, it's it's the morning. Chandler, you know? you're not allowed to be self-deprecating on behalf of other people. Like oh, it's better than hers. <laughs> You mean I can't like insult other people like <laughs> while I'm complimenting somebody else? Exactly. Okay, good note. No, just kidding. Andrew has the best skin of all time, but he's not here for Ugh. some advice. He's here to dig into all things Meghan Markle, Harry, not Hamlin, Harry Windsor, Prince Harry, and Oprah. <laughs> I can't I can't speak to Harry Hamlin at all. Let's dig into the Harry of the hour. Okay. Here's my first question I want to start off with. Andrew, yeah. how shocked were you? When you found out that Harry and Meghan were sitting down with Oprah and not the pop apologist. I honestly, I was blown away. I felt like <laughs> um, if you really wanted to enter American Americana, enter the zeitgeist of our culture really? and really just connect with the down home American folk, mm -hmm. you would have sat down with the three of us. And I don't understand how people connect with Oprah. I don't understand how she's relatable to anybody. That just is really confusing to me. It's unclear to us, too. I think, I think it's, it's deeply unclear to us, too. I think that ultimately we were plan B if Oprah couldn't make it. And no. her schedule was free. So it was either like a beautiful backyard in Santa Barbara or it was a virtual recording like this. And I guess they just went with the beautiful outdoor space. Yeah, I feel like it probably had a lot to do with the fact that we were not adjacent to Santa Barbara. That really was the only disqualification. They probably were like, if we're going to sit down for a once in a generation royal tell-all interview, we should do it where they have their shit together enough that the audio is level for each person. And each person is probably like liked. <laughs> I would not like to record in two bedrooms and a kitchen, respectively. <laughs> With the washer machine open behind us. Yeah. Honestly, here's the thing. So my house was built in 1923. This is really fun for those that you are visual. I'm in my kitchen where the washing machine is located. Megan is so relatable and she's so real. Like, I feel like she just really would have understood and been like, here for it. Never say never. Absolutely, well, I mean, absolutely. look at the it tabloids. She came straight out of the hood. And so, of course, the washing machine is in the kitchen like it is in the hood. I like, oh my I, I can't. Did some of those headlines just honestly, like on, on Instagram this entire week, we've been seeing like these headlines of just like all of the Daily Mails and the, the Telegraphs and the Sun. Headlines about Kate and headlines about Megan. Mm -hmm. That honestly, I knew it was bad. But I had not clocked. I'm not like watching. I'm not reading this. We, we get like a general idea of like how bad it was. Like, oh, the tabloids are being bad to her. I do think that 
And I think she spoke to this saying that her mom didn't even know that Diana did an interview. And I think there's going to be a lot of people rolling their eyes and being like, oh, you didn't know about the royal family. That's not what she was saying. She was saying that as an American, she didn't live in British tabloid culture where mm-hmm. like, yeah. where the royal family were a, a centerpiece of almost daily conversation or daily life. Yes, we all knew about the royals growing up as Americans, but they were very much just like celebrities over there. It wasn't like that you talk about it like you do American politics, where it's like a daily conversation. Right. Drumbeat. Yeah, think about this. To us, the royals are a bit of a celebrity institution, right? We're just mm-hmm. like, take take something like the Kardashians, sprinkle a national title on it and give it a thousand year history. Over there, this is a public institution that's supported by the state. So it's a little bit different, right? It's a piece of your national identity. Mm -hmm. I think there that's like, well, what do you think about this piece of what your country is? Mm -hmm. For us, it's like, what do you think about the president? It's that relationship, I think, is a little bit different than the way that we Mm -hmm. see it. So we can be like royal stands. And I still I'm even after this, I still stand the queen. But I have to tell you, like last night, I was just like, do we have to get rid of this? Should she (laughs) be should the queen be the last one? And then we're just like, okay, cancel, cancel, cancel. Well, actually, the Australian, I think, former prime minister came out and said, Australia, once the queen passes away, should rethink its ties to the monarchy and basically should formally secede away. And think about the basis of it, too. It really is, like, at the core of it, this monarchy is, it's classist, right? It's like this family, because they were born, is inherently better than us. Is right. the head of our church is is <laughs> the, the, the queen is the the head of the Church of England, and they deserve to inherit all of these things, all of these pieces, right? What I actually really think that informs is this entire story with Meghan and Harry, right? That this classist institution is inherently and cannot be nothing but racist. Right. Right. Interesting. You know, when Megan first went to her Christmas at Sandringham, that one random royal wore that brooch, that racist brooch. Do you guys remember that? Oh, I don't remember this. Oh, yes. I know. What was it? Yes, I remember the incident, but give us the details, Lo. I I don't really... I I just know that it was a brooch that was... I don't even want to honestly. I don't even want to speak to what it was. So you can look at you can look it up if you want. But it was an extremely offensive, really, uh, symbol of slavery. And yes, that was something that Harry's family member wore to a private family function, their first time meeting Megan. Okay, and you know, there's like a slap on the wrist. There's there you know, nothing really comes of it except for obviously a bunch of headlines, but no, no royal reproach. And so I think that for Megan, it's like, not only is she dealing with the extremely racist tabloid culture and press, but also this family that is clearly internally very much having those conversations, very Mm -hmm. much prejudiced. And the fact that she, and I think this is what was so important is she said, um, 
you know, the title, I don't think to Megan, she really cares about her son being called a prince. If anything, that's like, she's an American. She she doesn't have that same attachment to those statuses, but it's about yeah. like, imagine your child, your child being told, oh, you're not as good as the other children in this family who are given mm-hmm. titles. We're going to make you feel inadequate. And the thing is that the queen made an exception for Charlotte and now I'm forgetting the little boy, whatever whatever the hell. Um, The little boy that will be king one day. The queen made an exception for those grandchildren and she wasn't going to make that same exception for Archie. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And what blew me away was that it came down to that they were like, we don't really care. Like, you you don't have to call him prince. We're fine with that. But we've been, like Harry said, I was born into this. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't get to choose to be in this extremely high-profile position and we have to have security that's not an option for us like to not have security guards around and that megan saying like you know already sure it's a problem oh you're being racist to me but uh, can you keep me safe at least they were like yeah that was like just what was so crazy to me across all of this too was they talked about going to the firm or going to the institution. And I'm just like dying to know who they're talking to. Because we all know, all three of us know, there's the queen and they did a very pointed, like, we love her. Mm -hmm. She's great. But the institution, right? The firm, the people that run the palace. Oh, like somebody else, they alluded to the fact that like somebody that wasn't the queen said to Megan that she couldn't get help. From like when she needed mental help and she was feeling Mm -hmm. suicidal. Somebody else that wasn't the queen was saying these things to Harry. And they're all awful. But ultimately, the other thing that's really difficult is that Stan the queen, like she's great, but she's responsible, right? There's this institution that is totally enveloped around her. And her MO for the last 60 years or since whenever she became queen was like this institution we don't say anything and we're stoic and quiet which might work for her she's a strong lady she hasn't fought depression anxiety all of those things like she seems like she is just bulletproof as a person Mm -hmm. but the fact is that we have charismatic butterflies that seem to like float into this institution a lot your diana's your Megans, mm-hmm. even people like your Fergies as well, mm-hmm. who fly into it and the institution is like, no. And it well, just crushes them. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. And I have a million things that I want to come back with and talk about because I think je- jealousy amongst this, like the top royals is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And that obviously led to Diana's demise. But I, and I have so much to say, but Chandler, you only have so much time with us here. Are there, is there anything that you want to cover or speak to before you have to go? Because Andrew and I can pontificate with each other thereafter. Okay. Chandler, I have a question for you. Really? This interview was one, incredible, two, explosive, three, beautiful, stunning, all of the things. I I lived for this interview. But really at the front of the interview with Megan, that's where I feel like I got a lot of the juicy meat. And I want to ask you about two things. So the first is, what do you... So I'm going to ask you both questions. You can answer them. The first part, what do you think about Megan saying, oh, I didn't Google the royal family. I didn't know anything about it. I just liked Harry. Right, right. Which was... 
honestly insane I mean, to me. Yeah. And then the second part is she talks a bit about meeting the queen for the first time. And she says she'd been around famous people. She grew up in LA. The, that famous and royal are absolutely not the same thing. Right. That she said, meeting the queen and do you know how to curtsy? And she's, wait, we just don't do that in public? Um, and Harry goes, um, she's no. the queen. And he, she and Harry refers to her as, yeah, she's, she's my grandma. Right. But she's also this other thing. There's, it's like this, these two separate things. So talk on that. So, okay. From my perspective, I have like Diana, I think passed away the year that I was born. So sorry, two years after I was born. So I have no recollection of Diana at all growing up or even knowing about her as a cognizant being. And so I guess, but I still grew up with an immense knowledge of Harry and William. I knew right. William was always so cute. I I actually developed a, like a, a lust for Harry in my later years, and like I think it was maybe his like raunchy like like party boy phase that really spoke to me. Like I was really in. Like I just was like, oh, Harry's a good time. Harry's like the fun one, and like William just didn't oh always. Up. So all that is to say, I am I'm younger than Megan. And there is no way that she did not Google Harry or had not known about him, had not seen him in the press. Like, I remember him being, sp like, splattered across, like, people and us, like, when he was dating that, like, blonde girl, when he, like, his Vegas spree. So there's no possible way that she did not Google him or she did not have an actual knowledge of his, like, his play in the public eye. So I don't buy that at all. I just, I actually felt that that part was one of the more annoying parts in addition to her saying her bringing up Disney movies again and bringing up The Little Mermaid, like that part to me, I like, that's when I was like, she I want to talk She finds her voice. She I, gets her I voice back. I, I <gasps> understand. For the record, I, I <gasps> like Megan. I'm not like, I'm not anti-Megan or Team Kate or anything. I really yeah. enjoyed this interview and thought that it was like wonderful and vulnerable. But there were moments where I was like, oh girl, we would not be friends. I'm happy for you. I want your mental health to be good, but we would not be like pals. There was, I noticed at the end, like the, that there was, I, 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 de I detected the kind of the theatricality of this and the, the pointed strategy of yeah. this interview towards the end when Harry's talking and you hear in the background, she goes, yeah, yeah. There was just, and like, it's like, there were big, I totally disagree. I totally disagree. Really? I, when she was <laughs> like, she sounded like she was in so much pain and she was just like affirming his like testimony to like his family's egregious actions. I don't think she was contrived yeah. the entire time. I just think there were moments where I was like, I cringed a little bit. It was mainly when she said, and I like to rescue things. Um, like, yeah, that part was a little, there were just like sure. some moments where I was just like, okay, okay. Um, we get it. You love to Lawrence, work. So do I. To, to Lauren's point though, I really do. I think that we, all should stand and applaud the fact that somebody of this caliber of profile is standing up and saying, I didn't want to be alive. I thought that was totally, that is not easy. And what I really also liked is that she said, it takes so much courage to say that out loud. Anybody that's in that position and it's awful and it's endemic in all of our society today. There are so many people that feel powerless and they, they don't, feel like they want to continue living. It's a huge problem in our society. So I want to like, just, I stand up and applaud the way that she addressed that mental health issue and how difficult it was. And also Harry and not like, they, we didn't really know what to do right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the steps that they've taken, they're like, we would have totally stayed. 
had we gotten the help that we right, needed. Right. We had no, they were like, make no mistake, we didn't really have a problem with the institution itself. Yeah. But this was about continuing to be alive. And I thought that it was that I thought it was great that Harry just made the direct parallel. Like I've seen this happen before mm-hmm. and it happened to my mom and right. she is gone and it's right. not going to happen again. Yeah. And I really respected the fact that he was, he talked a lot about protecting his family. Not, mm-hmm. it wasn't a move that was just like, we're trying to like rock the boat or anything. It was like, we just want to be a happy family. I really yeah. believe, so I have two things to say. One is that I loved how much he talked about protecting his family because I think with the royal family, you don't get any like family first. It's it's us and our unit it's first. Firm it's duty first. and it's honor. It's yeah. duty first. And that to me is that's a that's an interesting and I think wonderful shift like mentally that Harry has that it's like, no, I'm protecting my wife and my child before I deal right. I deal with any of this other BS because this doesn't matter. And then totally. I was just gonna say to answer your second question about meeting the queen for the first time it reminded me of the scene in the crown where diana walks in to meet the queen for the first time and doesn't know who to curtsy to first and and whether that's fiction or fact it's probably fiction whether it's fiction or fact i i just am constantly struck by how excruciating and terrifying like the idea of meeting your the person you're falling in love with with like family, like that sort of like terror and stress. Yeah. And then adding on to that, the idea of, I don't even know how, what is like, like the behavior, like there's literally proper behavior that you have to follow and like rules. And like, it gives me like, like a stress ulcer just well, thinking about there's it. There's just all these opportunities yeah. for her to be low key hum- humiliated and to not be part of the in-group, to mm-hmm. be clearly an outsider, to clearly not right. know what she's doing. And I think that is, we all know what it's like to have, to be in some sort of like club or in-group and have someone who comes in like Biff, make a mistake right. and all internally chuckle at them. And when she said that like, there was no training for her, there was no help for her. Like she just had to figure it out basically all on her own on Google. It made, it makes you realize, oh, these people, they had no interest in seeing her succeed. Right. They really had their main interest was actually in, in her basically not surviving the institution or not necessarily not surviving, but like of her doing poorly. One of the interesting yeah. Interesting things that Oprah said, actually, in one of the CBS This Morning interviews that that I watched was that very early on in 2018, Megan and Oprah had a conversation and Oprah was like, how's it all going? This is when they were engaged. And I guess someone in the institution told Megan that it would be great if she could try to be 50% of what she is. Like, she's 50% extra. Wow. Like she's 50% too much. Like imagine? just shrink yourself. You know what it, all of this reminds me of is what's so interesting to me and what I'm realizing is that like when you're dealing with the monarchy, the scariest person in the monarchy is really not the queen. It's not the Regina George of the Mean Girls, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The scariest people are the Gretchen Wieners of the world, right? It's the weather boobs girl because those ones have a vested interest in coming for you, right? Of like, there's all of, there's the queen and she's number one and there's no disputing that. But like in terms of like access and power and perks and like all of that, behind her is this trail of these just snotty bitches that are just all jockeying and trying to put each other down 
And so it's not really, it's not the queen that frightens me. It's like the Prince Andrews of the world. And think about this too. Think about all of the bad behavior that trails behind the queen because she's way up here. And all of the people that are just adjacent to her think they can get away with this bad behavior. And so they're awful people, right? And it creates this institution of all the people that work for them, the people themselves that do all of this awful shit. And of course they're doing it to Megan because they're racist, they're classist, they're like the snottiest version of the snotty version of a British person that you can think of. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's just that. But it's that kind of like set right behind the queen bee. Those are the people to watch out for. Yeah, yeah. And those are the people that I think are making the comments about Archie's skin color, frankly. I think we know that. It wasn't the queen. And she said definitively it was the queen. Or no, I mean, what? Go ahead. Well, I'm just saying she, if it wasn't a member of the royal family, they would have said it was a conversation in the firm amongst the institution. No member of the royal family had the discussion. It was absolutely a member of the royal family who had that conversation. And and I will say that to protect the future monarchs, they would have said if it wasn't Prince, Prince Charles then they would have said it. So I'm my by by deduction, also by oh. um, generation. She did a like, she did a guess who. It does it, <laughs> it, see, it can only be Kate, Charles, or William. Okay, and who of all of those is going to be the most racist? It's a hundred percent Charles. So Prince Charles said it allegedly. I'm breaking the news. Uh, she, she's <laughs> breaking the news. You heard it here first. Oprah couldn't get to the bottom of this. No, she couldn't. But Lauren and Chandler and Andrew <laughs> did. Step and aside, so we just Oprah. want we just want to express our gratitude to everybody for giving us the opportunity to break this news to right. you that it was Prince Charles. Right. If you want more groundbreaking journalism, look into our Patreon. It's just a uh, give know, us a simple fee. Give us a five star review. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm. I'm ready to become a permanent pop apologist, you know? I I will. Well, well, well. well. He can say well, 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 as well as the rest of us. Um, Truly. I I think that is a really great read, Lauren. I think that it probably was. And when you you look at also how he is describing his current relationship with him, that there's a lot of hurt there. Right. Probably something along those lines. I have have one other point. Right. I have another point that I want to bring up before I have to peel off. Sorry. I have another... Uh, this is what I do. Are you getting that race car that just drove away? <laughs> um, I have another point I want to bring up before I have to run. How did you guys feel? Because I think the opinions about this are differing. And by differing, and Courtney and I have a different opinion on this. And so I'm curious about both of your thoughts. How did you feel about them talking about how they weren't going to get paid anymore? And did it stir any feelings? You're so privileged. Of course, you were going to have enough money. It's not like you're going to be destitute by any means. What were both of your takes on that? For my take, what they were saying is, hey, the life like Princess Eugenie leads where she gets a salary and she has, she's a member of the royal family that works for the queen when called upon, but she's not a senior working royal out there hitting the ribbon cutting ceremonies every day. Like, I think that they were saying, we want to be 
like that. We want to be adjacent. We want to maybe take a breather in another area of the Commonwealth, in another country. But we we want to fulfill a profile that already exists that other family members also enjoy. And so I think, of course, there's an issue of entitlement. In any family, if you think that just because you're a member of that family, you should get money, of course, that means you're entitled. However, you have to also think about if you're a member of that family and all the other members get very, they get a certain amount based on a certain amount of activities or engagement, you would just think that the rules would apply to everyone. And it seemed like the rules were continually being reshaped to punish Harry and Megan and specifically in that situation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the thing that is incredibly crazy to me. This was one of the bigger revelations of that interview for me was they said, look, we didn't, we weren't giving up. We didn't like, we did not right. want to pull this cord and we weren't planning on coming mm -hmm. to like our master plan was not to escape to Montecito. Right, it was, exactly. there are people in our family that have this job like Eugenie that do this. They are non-senior members and there's plenty of them. And we were doing this because we wanted to survive. It was like right. the media was being so awful. And I think it should be noted too, the, the, the media coverage of them in the UK is so bad and mm -hmm. so awful. And I think it should be noted that most of the media in the UK that is doing all of this awful stuff is controlled by Rupert Murdoch. And these are the same people that in 2011 were hacking. Do you remember like the phone hacking scandal? We talked about this briefly in the episode that I was on before like about how awful. Yeah, they're like hacking the phones, but they also like hacked the phone of a girl that was murdered. Like a school girl was murdered and they like hacked her cell phone to get what were her last text messages Ugh. before she was murdered. Like just really awful really? things. And these people that go wow. out and get that information we're also connected to just like crime syndicates, they're gangsters. Like it really is. There's this whole network of bad behavior in the media that is paid off and right. tolerated and whatever. Really, just really quick. You think about how there were photographers at the scene of Diana's death trying to take photos of like literally her body. Exactly. And so when you think about Harry's relationship with the media, knowing what had happened to his mother and that there were people there that might have been able to help but didn't but we're trying to get the photo and how awful they've treated Megan, like all of that combo. They're like, okay, we need to take a step back to protect ourselves physically of like, and emotionally, mentally. Yeah. I don't want to be alive anymore. Could we just do a downgrade? Could we just do right. what they do? And the institution throwing the book at them and punishing them mm -hmm. in, well, my, in my mind, Rewriting right, rewrite and them. then throwing that at them. And of course, like, I know that there's there's not necessarily a great precedent for this in terms of the only thing that I can think of is like the application that happened way back in the day that ended up making Elizabeth the Queen taking a step down. I can't see why it would be that bad in and of itself unless it had something to do with blackness and race. Which is just, we've been coming to this reckoning, I think, globally in the last year or two. It's insane to me. I think there's definitely that piece of it, 100%. 
But I think there's also a piece of it that goes back to the jealousy. And I think that Princess with Princess mm. Diane, you know, there was no racial issue there, but they treated her just as poorly. And the family basically drove her to suicidal attempts. And so I think that there's both things at play. And that was one of the things that really stood out and struck me in the interview was when he said they saw how well she did in Australia and they got jealous. They didn't want her stealing the shine, the sparkle, Mm -hmm. rather than having the, because here's the thing, like Meghan Markle, as a woman of color, as an incredibly compassionate, caring person, she only adds to the monarchy's image. However, it's kind of like, well, I'd rather have less of a good image and have the glory, then have the whole thing be strengthened and become right. maybe a best player. And that's something yeah. that I'm sure it was a combination of, honestly, Charles, Will, and Kate. I think that Will, Kate, and Charles, they all want the spotlight and they all want all the positive press. And seeing basically a new star emerge in the family threaten their egos. Yeah. I mean, she is stunning. Also, just as an aside, she's just sitting there and she's pregnant and she's wearing that dress and she's just like stunningly beautiful. She's so pretty. She's so so pretty. It's it's hard to almost watch because she's so perfect looking. She is. Yeah. I, for the record, I did not like her dress. I'm just going to put that out there. I thought her dress was actually pretty fugly. She is a gorgeous woman, but that dress... (laughs) How dare you? Did you read I'm about sorry. the? Did you read about this? Did you read about the symbolism of the dress? No, I didn't read about the symbolism of the dress because okay. I was... So here, <laughs> because she was mad. Here's the thing on the dress, and this is where I'm gonna I'm shining also as a royal historian, also as a pop apologist, like really getting into the fashions. Like you, you, I just want you guys to be proud of me. But it's a lotus flower, which is a symbol of freedom and breaking out and. That's why those flowers are on that dress. The other thing that I wanted to mention. Wait, but before we leave the dress, can I talk about the dress for a second? Because I'm glad that there was a lotus. You wanted to symbolize freedom. But also, you guys. Sure. My feeling on the dress is that it's a $5,000 Armani dress. And I think it was also a statement of we left and we still have a life of luxury. That was a choice. She chose to wear a very expensive dress and Mm. she could have gone a more down to earth route and a more like a more not even understated, but just actually feeding the chickens in or like chicken dress. Yeah. And I think it was definitely like, that was a statement. (laughs) Like, you're not going to deprive me of a life of luxury. Mm. We can create that for ourselves. Which I think is fierce. Y'all, I wish I could stay because I want to, speaking of dresses, I feel like you guys need to get into the uh, flower girl dresses. Chandler, I feel like you and I need to offline more because there's still more for us to go over. So maybe we can create some additional content later, but love you. Have a good day at work. And Andrew and I are going to soldier on without you. Okay. Thank you both. Love you, Channy. Love you. Bye. There is one part um, that I think is really, really interesting being the royal cor- correspondent, I did my research, mm-hmm. right? I love it. Um, I love it so much. Went back into the archives and I watched the interview of Diana in 1995 with Martin Bashir. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is the one where, th- this is the famous interview where she says, well, it was really difficult because there were three people in the marriage. And she's yeah, referring yeah. to Camilla and Puck Bowles. But she's talking about her difficulties of how lonely it was. And, and what really struck me as the main parallel 
mm-hmm. was that, you know, two parts. The first one is that when she struggled and she asked for help, nothing. They right, just said, right. this is how it is. We're not going to help you. And we're going to mm-hmm. tack this label on you because you're having a problem that you're mentally unstable. Right. 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 She's, She's bulimic. She's throwing herself downstairs. She's having depression problems. She wants to end her life. All of those same things that kind of track in the same interview, I thought was really interesting. And then the second part we just touched on right before Chandler left in the interview with Harry and Megan, they talk about the parallel, like they go on this Australian tour and they Mm -hmm. see how well Megan does and it creates this whole issue. Right. And we have in certain senses, like a Diana 2.0, like somebody who's charismatic, who gets the job does it really well, looks stunning, right? Mm -hmm. And so the institution and the tabloids, there's no like celebration of like, she's wonderful. It's just like, Mm -hmm. how can we tear her down? Which happened to Diana in her day. What's so fascinating is that she was so popular personally. People loved Mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. But the, the institution and the newspapers just constantly tried to tear her apart, right? Mm -hmm. And it was only surface level, right? Diana talks in her interview in 95. She's like, yeah, it was really difficult for Charles. And and Mm -hmm. she kind of was like being, she was like apologetic. She was like, the media only, like, I couldn't control what they said about me, right? Yeah, They were focused on the looks and how she was. And like, I hugged the, you know, I hugged this child and like, I wanted to help people. I wanted to do a good job. And she said, Prince Charles was very aligned with that. He wanted Mm -hmm. to help people too, but nobody wanted to talk about him. Nobody was interested in like shaking his hand. They wanted to hug Diana. And and I I think that the institution looking at Megan is exactly that. Okay. A couple of things to, to talk about the first thing, which is that they, the institution was not going to help Diana when she was suffering with mental health issues. I think that it's really important to, to note and distinguish like Megan wasn't saying, Hey, I need a therapist because they can have a therapist come to the castle. Okay. That's not right. the issue. The issue is she right. needed to be checked into a treatment facility because she was a danger to herself because she was contemplating and planning suicide continually. Like it's such a different thing. Don't leave me alone. To, don't leave me alone. Like to be driven to that point and then be told we're not going to give you any sort of support. I mean, yeah. like it's just not possible. I think that it's, it's, it's utterly egregious and it did actually, you know, people are going to refute this, but I think it did drive them to the point where they were like, something has to change because literally we won't survive otherwise, or one of us won't survive. Um, so, and then the other part, and Harry's been through this. He's been, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how he lost his mom. And And he's suffered his own mental health struggles. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think as far as like the press tour and, you know, the, the Royals, like, okay. So I think there were two really interesting points that came out in the interview. The first is that it's very clear that the Royal family is in bed with the media 
and they can help control yes. the narrative. They yes. can't. They they host lavish parties. They wine and dine. They ha- they have some strings they can pull. They don't have complete control, but they have some control. They were not Absolutely. willing to use any of those strings to protect or help Megan. And mm-hmm. so I think that it's not just the media that was excoriating her. It was also the royal family's passivity in response to her annihilation that was it made her feel so betrayed and was so horrible so there's that piece of it and then i think the other piece of it is like to be totally honest people just don't care about the charity work they really don't they care about the dress they care about like the glamour and the glitz they care about seeing her dancing with you know the other girls and wherever she's visiting papers have to write what sells and what sells is either glamour or negativity. It's not benign positivity. There's a great example of that too. I mean, um, we talked about this in the first episode when we were talking about the crown and a lot of people didn't know this and I'm glad they put it in the crown when Diana hugged that child that had AIDS. Mm -hmm. That was so huge in our community, in the LGBTQ community, that she she made that move, right? But- Mm -hmm. What's so interesting is that tons of people don't really know about that or remember it and um, or remember, you know, like it wasn't so much that Diana was standing in the minefield. You know, that was another one of her big causes was removing landmines. Yeah. It's the photo of like, she looked effortlessly beautiful in this white linen Diane Keaton inspired (laughs) look. Is she in Under the Tuscan Sun? (laughs) And look, she happens to be removing a landmine. And and the cause is like the afterthought, right? It's just like, all we think about is like, and and, and we're all guilty of it. I'm like, I there's this dress that I remember Meghan Markle mm-hmm. wearing. It's this beautiful green dress. And I have no idea what she's doing. But I just remember the dress. And that's kind of what we're trained to pay attention to. I mean, I don't know if it's like training or if it's just human nature. Like humans are intrigued by beauty. They're intrigued by scandal and they're not. And people, I think, care about charity work, but they're not going to buy a magazine or a newspaper to read about like the specific cause that Megan and Harry are working with. They're going to buy that magazine or that newspaper for the photos of them doing that work. And it's it's just the reality. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, we we know this about Meghan Markle. She mm-hmm. is a very principled, um, you know, like progressive person that has a lot of causes that are near and dear to her. And she's worked really hard to, to further those causes uh, over the course of her life. And then people are like, she was hot in suits. Like, <laughs> just like, you know, it's one of the unfortunate uh, pieces of like yeah. how we are. And I, I think that part of it is that we are tuned to that, like of, of like pretty things. We're like, oh, I will listen to you because you're beautiful. Um, right. But it well, doesn't, I- you know, it, it just, which also kind of in a certain sense makes it all the more baffling that there is like mm-hmm. this beautiful, principled, strong, biracial, like, it's just like, the opportunity, like, like this is going to sound bad, but it's like the opportunity to really embrace that and to like 
to really Could be a bit more progressive PR opportunity opportunity that no! with open arms and to have finally a biracial member of the family finally a member of the family who isn't going to be like purple on vacation in the sun like you know right purple complexion. <laughs> like, right like, like, yeah it's insane to me like uh it really really um strikes at how deep rooted this problem really is yeah. when you look at somebody like Meghan Markle and people are like, it, it just highlights to me how insane it is at its very core to be racist. What's in, in any way, shape or form, because I think that's it's just, point. it's, it's like, we're talking about skin tones. Like, Right. It's very sad that great that truly racist people actually exist. Like Yeah. And it's well, astonishing and that we that we allow those sentiments to be echoed by publishing pieces about them. Right? That we right. that we actually in our society will write about them and allow those voices to, you know, to say something like that. The question that I want to ask you is like what is your overall like do you think that we should continue to have a monarchy That's in the UK. Question. To answer that question, you have to answer another, which is what's the purpose of the monarchy? And if the yeah. purpose of the monarchy is to provide a dignified, like what it, it's the dignified form of government, isn't that what it's called? Like there's the, there's the conventional government. I forget, I forget, but it's like, there's the actual working parliament and then there's yeah. the dignified government. I remember this from The Crown, you guys. Um, I think the okay. pilot episode. That's where this knowledge <laughs> comes from. Um, but anyway, so if the purpose is to lend a dignified presence to government, I think that now we're on the heels of a family with a pedophile and serious yep. racist internal issues in it. I don't think it's accomplishing those goals. So I think it's not very yeah, dignified anymore. It's not very dignified. And, yeah. and these people don't seem very happy. So I think I personally think that it's a bureaucracy where people are really trying to keep their jobs and their power. And that is the most important thing in terms of upholding the monarchy. It's not even about the monarchy. It's about all the jobs and power that surround it. So I absolutely think that the monarchy should, it, it is outdated and it should be dissolved. I really believe yeah. that. So I'm a guess I'm going on the record. There what it is. Hot takes. Um, this interview really, it, it's kind of, it's so interesting. This is why I think interviews like this are so important. It's like, did the interview reveal anything that we really didn't suspect or kind of already know about the institution? Not really right but it really just highly it kind of like cemented the fact that like it just like lended this humanity to like this is our story and, and really this these were our motivations which i really respected and um there was an article that i was reading last night i'm going to read you a line from it but this is okay. this is something that i agree with to my core um Okay. It really is just this. This is kind of like the hot take. You can't turn a bottle of poison into a refreshing drink, no matter how much sugar you put into it. 
Yeah. And the context of that comment was like, oh, this these revelations are coming out. We have to make the monarchy better, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that the institution itself at its very core, the, the premise of it is problematic, right? It, it has to do with, you know, classism, um, you know, like the, the, the racism that obviously we're seeing right now and everybody, it's like what I was saying earlier about like the mean girls principle. It's like, okay, we really shouldn't be afraid of the Regina George. It's everybody that trails behind. Right. And it's like Prince Charles, like time and time again, it just proves himself to be a jackass. You know, it's like, I'm not, I'm like the reason that I like stand the monarchy before is because the queen, we mm-hmm. all seem to, like, she seems relatively untouchable, which is interesting given that, like, she's responsible for all of it and could say, like, you know, she apparently, you know, swish and flick, she can just say, like, no. Right, right. Or yes. Well, but she says yeah. nothing. But, you know, and she's done that for a long time. It's been her strategy. But, and sometimes it works and a lot of times it doesn't. And where it really doesn't is when you have these, like, kind of flash in the pan type of people that actually do have a personality try to enter into the institution that is inherently without personality right mm-hmm. you you and I actually really don't know anything about the queen right mm-hmm. we know that she you know uh doesn't allow garlic in the royal house like but we don't really know like behind closed doors anything about what she's like Hmm. I think that one of the key takeaways, one of the things that I did learn um, that I didn't know, and I'm and, I, and it was very subtle. So I'm not sure if you, if you, if you had the same takeaway. Um, sure. I watched the interview twice because I was so riveted, and I caught it the second time. But mm. um, and 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 it, and I'm sorry, but this might have been in an in an unaired scene that I saw on CBS this morning. It's all kind of mixed together for me. But um, so I'm not sure if you even saw this, but they talk about how they flew there to see the queen and the queen invited them up to one of her estates. I think it was Sandringham and they touched down and they got a note because they had she said, come have lunch, stay the night. It's a long drive. Let's have a visit. They, okay. they touch down, the plane touches down and they get word, oh, the queen like sends her regards but she has other engagements and won't be able to see you. Do not come. And and then Oprah says, so I think this wasn't an interview. Oprah says, she does this thing where she like leans back in her seat and she's like, doesn't the queen get to do what the queen wants to do? Like it was such a, it was such a funny, amazing Oprah moment. Like only Oprah could talk to Prince Harry with this kind of body language. Um, right. But anyway. Right. Anyway. Just like kind of like a. Yeah. Totally. Like that's, that's why Oprah is every woman. Um, but, but then Harry basically just kind of looks at her and like, there's this silence that hangs in the air. Like, I actually don't think that the queen, uh, is in control and gets to do Mm. what she wants to do. I think that it's the people around her that are really the ones in charge. I absolutely believe that because that's basically what Harry said or said within so many words, like, no, she doesn't get to. Right. And you think, and and I think that they also made a point more than once in the interview to say, you know, we have a great relationship. She's always been like so kind and so nice yeah. to us. 
And, you know, Megan's just like, you know, she was wonderful to me and like shared that blanket on the train with me, like, here, come over here, you know? Um, and I, I think that they were maybe, maybe saying two things with that, with, with, with mentioning those things. The first is that, um, they, they talked a lot about the institution, right. And they, yeah. but then they also made these distinctions of like, but it's not her. Yeah, yeah exactly. That For- part is that yeah right and and that part was so interesting to me because you know in theory we're supposed mm-hmm. to say well like well the queen's the queen and she's the one who calls the shots and it seems like it's not really that way right it's like all of right. these other people like the people saying no to megan's mental health it's like in my mind after that interview it's like i don't think the queen even ever heard probably I agree. about that I agree. that she was struggling it was the people that are surrounding her in supposedly this attempt to like preserve the institution of the monarchy or whatever. And it's like what you've alluded to a couple of times is like, these are self-interested people um, that want to keep their jobs. And the way that they keep their job is by protecting the queen, making sure she looks good. And then probably shoveling the, uh, you know, controversy onto other people. And that's why they wanted her to be the villain. What an easy target, right? Yep. It's just like yep, exactly. Let's be racist. Let's do racism. Well, I mean, mm, right. Fierce. It'll be easy because it is easy. It's easy to be racist, and and it's easy right. to well, sell. I, I don't that type I mean, of. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it was again. I would say that Diana was treated, you know, in the same horrible way, and so. Yeah. I think it was, it was a bundle of things. Um, but I want to think, like, think logistically, right? Like, I think this is how, this is how these people have so much power. If you're the president of the United States, your day yeah. is packed. Like every yeah. 10 minutes is fiercely scheduled and right. you don't have, as I used to be an executive assistant, um, you don't have the executive or the person who's getting scheduled there's a reason someone else is doing their calendar. There's a reason someone else is handling the minutia because they literally don't have time to breathe because right. they're just going from thing to thing and operating and executing. And I think that's the thing with the queen. The queen is like, there's no direct line where she can just call the queen at that time. There was no right. direct line where she can just call the queen. There always is an intermediary. So by controlling access, these people have so much power and they're able to, first of all, shield the queen from even knowing all of this is going on. And right. second of all, you know, create so much harm around be, her. Be the determining factor, be the decision maker. Because exactly. if you're the gatekeeper, you're basically the decision maker, you're, right? You are the one like, in power. A lot of those people that are around the queen have been doing this for decades, right? So they have built up over the years, they have this experience and and this like, I think it's an inherent like almost weakness that they mm-hmm. think is a strength of like, I've been doing this for a long time around this institution that is so old, but also not really realizing that like everything in the last probably 15 years with our access to the internet, the way that we consume news, everything has totally changed. And so they're like these dinosaurs that are like, no, that would look this way. And I really liked the fact that like, you know, Megan brought up the fact that like, oh no, it's not like, oh, what this looks like. How was that actually? That's all of it. None of this. 
none of anything that you see from us in that royal family is anything based in reality. It is Mm -hmm. all posed, artifice. artifice. It's it's just not real, right? Because the entire obsession is what would this look like or what is this going to look like to the public? It's not what is. Yep. It's what will it look like? And of, for somebody in um, in a mental health crisis, right? Like I know a lot of people that have gone through it. I've gone through, you know, mental health struggles. Um, one of the first things that people really gravitate towards is how, what do they look like to the outside world, right? Yeah. Because if you're struggling, um, the thing is, is that with the shame and the stigma that comes with mental health issues, your your first thing is like, how do I appear to the world? Like, I'm okay, I'm fine, right? But inside mm-hmm. I'm doing bad. Now that whole institution is based in that. So if you, like heaven forbid, you have that problem because you would never be able to get the help that you need because the institution is based in basically hiding those things. Yeah. Hiding any problem. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I th- and I think that's a little bit why the British people... I think I think the British people know that, especially the monarch, they live a life for other people. It doesn't matter yeah. if you. It doesn't matter how beautiful your life is if you don't have freedom, and you right. can't actually make your own decisions and choices. You're yeah. still in a cage, and I yeah. think that's why the British people revere Queen Elizabeth so much because she has always firmly accepted that role firmly accepted that her life was not her own. And that is literally sacrificing everything for a country. One one more thing I wanted to touch on though, um, is did you see that the Buckingham, the Buckingham Palace, um, did you see that Buckingham Palace responded? The statement. We have to talk about the statement because there is so (sighs) much there. First of all, there's like barely anything there. It's so short, but second of all- 12 words that launched a thousand ships. I think this is, okay, this is the thing for me that's so infuriating. First of all, the phrase, recollections may vary. That's it. That's the whole statement to me. It's like, <laughs> you might have not remembered that right. It's like so gaslighty to me. It's it is. so it is. incredibly, it's like, it's just like, like I was sexually assaulted. And it's like, mm, maybe you weren't. Like, it, it's like, no, like we're not doing that these days. Like if you were sexually assaulted and you said it, like we need to investigate it as a sexual assault. Like we're not well, going to say I, like, mm, maybe not. Well, and, and obviously, it's, yes, classic gaslighting. Yeah. And also um, the, the royal family or the institution, the firm said last week in preempting this interview in order to create some sort of smear campaign against Megan, that they were launching right. a formal investigation into the, the years old bullying claims by ex-assistants. I'm sorry, right. you're launching a bullying claim or bullying investigation a year later, but you're not going to launch any sort of investigation for these racist claims. You're just going to say that they're right. a private family matter and that they, and also, you know, question whether they happened at all. When Harry and Meghan said there was multiple conversations, it wasn't just one. It wasn't a stray remark that, right. you know, someone said and shouldn't have said. And I, here's the other thing. I also think that if the comment had came 
if the comment had said had said something, I don't know, if it had been in any way not poorly intended. I'm not sure how right. that could have been, but I think that there is a world where, um, and I, I heard someone else, I heard someone else say this, um, but they said that, you know how like a lot of people question Harry's paternity because ah, of, yeah. so they were, so I, I forget where, what podcast I was listening to, but someone said that, um, they basically made the connection of like, well, well m- maybe they were just questioning like, you know, if they're, if they're going to have to deal with another paternity scandal. Okay. Mm. And I think that personally, if that was the context, they wouldn't have brought it up, but they mm. brought it up because they knew the context was racist, you know, right. like the context right. wasn't in any way excusable or, or, um, able to be rationalized and it happened right. multiple times. So I know right. I'm like droning on and on, but I just, when when they said recollections may vary and that they wouldn't launch a formal investigation instead that this matter would be dealt with privately they basically just like flat it was another it was another pr fail another opportunity that they just completely passed by and ruined right. essentially right i mean what what could be better than like wow you know we we support harry and megan um, we understand better, like what, you know, what their, uh, you know, situation is and, and more of their decision. Um, we wish them the best and we love them. And, um, we really need to like, take a moment to reckon with making sure that our family moving forward is not racist. It'd just be like, and people would be like, perfect. Right? Totally. But like instead, we need to have a deep. Say, yeah. A deep reckoning. We need to have a deep examination within our family of our beliefs of how we can do better of how we can learn of how we can do the work i mean to be honest this is a very right easy now, statement to write that you don't even have to write especially especially right now right yeah. like right now in in the context of our greater society i think western society generally it's never been a better time to say you know let, I'm doing like, okay, vibe check. Like, have I been racist in the past? Have I taken racist action? Do I have racist biases? Yes. Mm-hmm. And as a white person in a, in it, or a white family in an immense, I mean, the privilege is just like, it's, it's the pinnacle of privilege. More. Yeah. There's no more privileged person than the British Royal family. Like, I don't, right. there's nothing more. It's that, it's that, it's like, are you the queen of England? Yeah. And, and the opportunity right now for all of us is to say, yeah, we need to take a look at like our past actions, where we're at, commit to do better and, and say like, I'm sorry that I was this and I want to do better. Like the yeah. context and the opportunity was so ripe and we just see yet again, and it kind of justifies the entire interview in my mind is that statement yeah. in and of itself, right? It's just like, well, recollections could have been this. And it's like, no shit they left the family. This family right. sucks. This family blows. <laughs> and, I, and I'm and not sure if I already said this, but I think that that was like, that was, it happened again, basically, which is Megan said that they were willing to lie to protect members of their own family, but they wouldn't tell the truth to protect yeah. her and Harry and in their family and right. that was happened in the statement i mean obviously by 
saying that recollections may vary. That's basically saying that that didn't go down like that. That didn't happen. And we're going to lie about that. We're going to, we're going to create that false narrative to protect ourselves and to, and to gaslight you. And I, and I think the really interesting point that you brought up earlier on in this, uh, in this like groundbreaking interview between us and Chandler mm-hmm. earlier. So like, this is, this, this is like Harry and Meghan 2.0. Like this is our, exactly. our moment. The world, is waiting. the world is waiting with bated breath to hear a homosexual and uh, his two best friends to talk about royal matters. Um, the the thing that really I think it highlights again is the point that you made that um, who are the people that are probably the most motivated to make sure that the royal family continues to be the royal family and it's Prince Charles who is honestly public enemy number one in my mind now and totally. William and Kate. Right. It's just like, because the entire thing, we talked about this on our crown episode, the entire purpose of the monarchy at this point is to ensure that the monarchy continues, right? That they continue to be royal. And the only reason that they are royal is because they say they are, right? So, yeah. Okay. I'm going to push back on that though. I'm actually going to disagree. I think that they actually- I said your own statement back to you. I don't think I said that. Maybe I did. Maybe I've early on said amnesia or whatever. But I think you're like, you literally thought was what you said. I think that the people that benefit from the monarchy the most are the courtiers and the institution and the people around it. Because those people get get it all. They get access to the world's most intriguing family. They get all this power. They get wealth. But then they also get freedom. They can go vacation and do whatever they want. They can, there's no optics when it comes to their lives. And, and like Harry said, right. like these people are in, are trapped. They're like in a cage. And so I think that the people who are most intent on it surviving are not even necessarily the, the royals, royals themselves. themselves. It's the people whose point. Yeah. cushy jobs depend on it. It's you kind know? of, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, all of the royals, I, I'm sorry to like use this Mean Girls analogy like three times, but it's like all the royals are like the Regina Georges. And then yeah. everybody around them is like the Gretchen Wieners and what's-her-face. Like around them just being like, my entire existence depends on this person above me remaining the most popular. And so I will do anything, right, to make sure that that person still remains in their place so that I can enjoy my place. Right. And so it's, it's, so I definitely do see that, but I, but also not to like, cause I I agree with you on that point, but I also do believe, you know, that we look at the, the actions that like, the thing is, is like, uh, Prince Charles still cut him off. Right. He still made that decision. So there are pieces of it. There are pieces of it where I see like the punitive, you know, or like the Kate, like who made who cry, right? Mm-hmm. Like that Kate actually was the one that made Megan cry. And then the media just totally flipped it. And like, right. you know, um, and that Kate could have just said, no, that didn't happen. I, I actually didn't, I, I had, I made a mistake and, you know, like, these people still have the means to speak up to a certain extent, 
Yeah. You know, I mean, they probably get their interviews chosen for them. But Mm -hmm. once they sit in front of the camera, like they can say like, oh, yeah, no, that didn't happen or whatever. And I wonder how many how much power those handlers have in like censoring them. But I still I still think there's a piece of it, right, where it's like. Prince Charles could have said, uh, yeah, I support you. I'm not, we're not, we're keeping you in the family. And the, the interesting thing is that, so Prince Harry and uh, Meghan were cut off from the sovereign grant when they stepped down, which is totally fine, right? That's the, that's the sovereign grant is the money that the British taxpayers pay that supports the monarchy. It's something about a hundred million dollars a year, which in the whole economy isn't a ton because right. the royal family generates, like they, they, they are, they generate the the royal family generates a lot of money that also mm-hmm. but what prince harry was cut off from was not the sovereign funds or the sovereign trust or whatever it's called he was cut off from prince charles's personal um funding of their lifestyle which accounted for 95% of their expenses 95% of their expenses really gone. yes of his because what prince charles owns personally it's it's really interesting the way that this works but there's there's crown property which is like property of the crown Mm -hmm. which is just whoever the monarch is so castles there's some things like this but then there's also personal property of the windsor family and personal property of like prince charles and stuff that he's been given or inherited or whatever that property is much more valuable Mm-hmm. So the Windsor family, essentially, they go, well, we own all of this stuff and we will um, rent it to the royal family. It's so weird how they structure this stuff. But, you know, like a castle, like Sandringham is owned by Queen Elizabeth. It's hers. It's not anybody yeah. else's. It's not the crown's, right? right? Buckingham right. Palace is like property of the crown. Like she doesn't get to, she can't like sell that. But like right. all of her other castles are hers. But she so, can charge the monarchy or the Brit. The, she can charge the sovereign grant rent for rent. Essentially, it to yeah. The, there's for just use all of, the of these. Family. Yeah. So there's just all of this really interesting like property that's involved yeah. with the crown and the family. So, you know, Harry was not really being supported so much by the government and the crown as much as his dad's personal estate and his property. And mm-hmm. he cut him off from, from that, which was providing 95% of their total expenses. And so yeah. getting cut off from that, then that's when he said, well, I dipped into what my mother left me. And when his mom died, her personal property, she left him $10 million, which she probably never had to spend. It just was like, just chilling over here. And that's right. what they've been using Can at the I... beginning of their like new life to finance right. it, to like start all of their new ventures. Yeah, it's interesting. And just to get into the finance financial part of it, um, I find it interesting that they chose such a lavish home, essentially, in Montecito. Yeah. And like it on some level, ten million is a lot of money, but it's not enough to fund their current lifestyle. And those Netflix no. deals and all of that, they get paid out over time. And so I am very curious how the money side of it works because it, yeah. it does seem like they are they're spending as much as literally possible. And it almost seemed like they immediately chose a pretty unsustainable lifestyle. You know, I would imagine. Lifestyle. 
Yeah, I would imagine at that level, right? If you're like, I'm Prince Harry, can I have a credit card, please? Like, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be like, what do you want? Like, I'm sure that there's probably some like. As they needed. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably like some very like front loading, like debt financing. Uh, You know, like, you think about like your access to power and money only increases with the more power and money that you have. It's true. Right. So it's like you think about the concept of like, um, like, it's like Sky Club access, right? Like you're flying yeah. Delta and you're at the airport. And it's like, if you have like this credit card or you spend this much money, we're going to let you into this thing. We're going to give you free stuff or like influencers. It's just like, you know, you and I both know, we're like, well, how much free stuff is that person getting who already is wealthy? Yeah. No, you're Due you're to right, the fact that right. they are wealthy, right? Due to the I, fact that they have power or influence or, you know, or wealth generally what they do have, they what they might have lost in like a bit of wealth in the short term, mm-hmm. well, they have all of the power and influence, right? And and right. especially um, you know, having done something that is like so controversial. Yeah. You know? You know, that's like well, created a story. Yeah, and I and I think that um one other one other piece of it is like when you are in that echelon of society you can get some, you can say, Hey, can I borrow $10 million? I'll pay you back next year. I'll call it David Foster, get 10 million, whatever it is. So you're right. Like getting that, getting the liquidity to get to that other side where they have a couple hundred million dollar deals is really actually. Right. Right. And yeah, you know, I, I think that it's interesting. They said like, Oh, our plan wasn't like street, like, you know, the stream, Harry said it in some like really like streamers. He was like, we weren't planning on getting into streamers. That was so um, funny. I was like, really? Party supplies? Are they are they also getting into the party supply business? <laughs> yeah, like so like, oh, like Lauren, what streamers do you subscribe to? Oh, Netflix. Like, what? Um, so that was I thought that was funny. But um that this kind of like a friend suggested it to him and they're like, oh yes. Let's do that. I am interested to see kind of what type, you know, they had said their purpose was to like give a voice to the voiceless and to tell stories that aren't necessarily heard. I will be really interested to see like what types of things they produce. I know that they're both pretty principled people, yeah, but I'm, I, I just wonder what that, what that looks like and, and how, because the other thing that's, that's a little bit precarious in my mind to it is like, we're going to tell the stories that need to be told but we're also going to monetize it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting. Like I don't have any issue with them making money. I think if anything, like yeah. they, for everything that Harry's endured, um, and now Megan, they should be able to capitalize off of that. Um, so I'm not Definitely. necessarily, I don't really care about that. Um, but I think it's, also I love like, streamers. <laughs> it harkens back to the, a little <laughs> bit of the earlier conversation, which is that, um, positivity doesn't really sell. Like people don't really want to watch like Hallmark documentaries about like the power yeah. of kindness. Like, so I'm wondering how Netflix is going to actually capitalize on their involvement if they're right. just going to be creating these like very sanitized, like Archwell Productions snooze fests. And so I think that'll be interesting to yeah. to to see. Especially when the question to them consistently will be like 
so what was it really like like that question of like who who was that mother effing racist in your family that was concerned about your baby who turned out like so white which is beside the point right but who was it that really brought that up or like you know what really is you know the deal with prince andrew like your uncle is a total pedophile and it's like it's it's like proven people don't and still care. nothing happens and people don't care exactly. Right? No, I, well, people don't care about. I'm, I'm one more minute. It's like people don't care about Prince Harry's thoughts on like being well or like wellness or yeah. like Megan's kale salad recipe. They care about the juice right. and the drama and spilling right. the tea. And so, right. I mean, hopefully, hopefully there will be. I a guarantee you, we are not going to be doing, uh, you know, catch up with royal correspondent Andrew Hansen on Megan and Harry's new charity like th- th- that's not what it's just well did you listen to the first episode of their podcast no no you didn't because <laughs> why would you because it was so boring um i listened to the first five minutes and it was like here we are princess megan and harry and we have some positive messages from around the world and it's just like no one cares. Click. Turn the, turning that off. <laughs> Which is kind of the most awful part, right? It's like, okay, so we are the problem because it's like, okay, we we live for this type of interview. And on one hand, I'm like, yes, I want you guys to be well. I want you guys to be whole. And I don't want to hear anything about it. Yeah, but you no, know, <laughs> we want the tea. And actually, Andrew, I think that's a good that's a good jumping off point we are part of the solution because we're not part of the problem. We're part of the solution. Cause guess what? This podcast, <laughs> it brings the drama. It brings the tea. So we're not fighting human nature. We're serving it here on pop apologists. And thank you so much for being here and helping us do that today. It is my pleasure. I just, that's it. It, it really is scandal that brings us together, you know, like really <sighs> new season of the crown. It's like, it's crazy. We got to talk. You know, this interview, um, you know, I am just looking forward to the next one um, so that we can just get together and chat again. That's really it. What I want to do is I want to do a pleasure thread pod um, where we do memories of like server life. I think that'll be such a funny episode. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, just all of like the different characters that we served uh tragedies crying in the basement crying in the lock-in um we talk about you know, the incredible work ethic lee has i mean I, there's just gonna be a lot that we can get into like lee not showing up to work on time once like not <laughs> one time we uh, don't love not- her because she's on time exactly anyway i think that'll be such a fun episode so we're definitely gonna have you back Thank you so much for doing this. Love you forever. You're not going to have to wait till the next season of The Crown. And have a good day. And I'm ready. I'm I'm ready when you are. And you have the greatest day too. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thanks, Andrew. Love you. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at popapologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday.
Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Katherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Beerley and I'm Jennifer Chaikin and we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of the therapy group and hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. Every week we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships and burnout, making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psycho babble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist, but don't know how. And work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you, because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. Hey.